The first Mishnah of this Perek brought a decree which Rabbanuchan ben Zakkai made after the Bishamikdash was destroyed. This was regarding blowing the shofar on Shabbos, which falls on Rosh Hashanah. And because the Mishnah listed that, the Mishnah is now going to bring a number of other decrees which were made by Rabbanuchan ben Zakkai. Barashonah originally the Lulav, and this is really referring to all of the Abraminim, all of the four species which are taken and shaken on Sukkot. So that was done in the Beis HaMikdosh for all seven days of Sukkot. Uvamadina, but in the rest of the country outside of the Beis HaMikdosh, Yom Echad, it was only taken for one day, the first day of Sukkot, and this is the law Midoraisa as stated in the Torah. Now, as we learnt in the previous couple of Mishnayis, according to the Rambam, Mikdosh refers to the entire Yerushalayim. And so, according to the Rambam, there is a Mitzvah throughout the entire city of Yerushalayim to shake the Araminim for all seven days of Sukkot. Now, the truth is, Midirabbonon, just like the Shofar is not blown on Shabbos, the same applies to a Lulav and the Abraminim, in case somebody comes to carry it in a public domain. So Mijabonon, if it is a Shabbos, then the Mitzvah does not apply. That having been said, if the first day of Sukkot is a Shabbos, then since the Mitzvah of Lulav sort of has greater importance on the first day, so the Abraminim are shaken on the first day, even if it falls on Shabbos. So that means that when the Mishnah says it's taken for all seven days, that means it could potentially be taken for seven days if the first day is a Shabbos. And the point is that the Mitzvah applies throughout the entire Sukkot. Mishachar B'Samikdosh, once the Beis was destroyed, Hiskin and Merucham Zakai, Merucham Zakai instituted, Shehea Lulav Nital Bamdina Shiva, that the Abraminim would be taken even outside of the Beis HaMikdosh for the entire Yom Tov of Sukkot for all seven days, except for Shabbos, Zechel HaMikdosh, as a remembrance and a commemoration of the Beis HaMikdosh. By doing things to remember the Beis HaMikdosh, that shows that we are still yearning for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdosh, and we are upset that it is destroyed, and so that is the reason for Menachem and Zakkai's decree. The second decree regards the prohibition of Chodosh. Chodosh refers to new grain which has taken root that year, and the halach is that grain which grows during that year is forbidden to be eaten until the Korban Omer on the second day of Pesach is offered in the Beis HaMikdosh. This is an offering of barley flour, and as long as the Beis HaMikdosh stood, it was forbidden to eat Chodosh until the Korban was offered. Once the Beis HaMikdosh was destroyed, from the beginning of the second day of Pesach, at the beginning of the day, so for when it gets light, from that point it is permitted to eat Chodosh. However, once the Beis HaMikdosh was destroyed, the Zakah instituted that the day of the waving of the Korban Omer would be totally forbidden to eat Chodosh. Before the Korban Omer was offered, it was waved in all directions. That's why the second day of Pesach is known as the day of waving, referring to the Korban Omer. And the reason for Rabbi and Zakkai was because of the concern that the Beis would be just would be rebuilt on the night before the Korban Omer is offered up. So the second night of Pesach... And if that would be the case, then they would have to do all of the processes to prepare the Korban Omer that day and offer out the Korban Omer that day. That involves quite a lot. It involves cutting the barley from the ground, especially for the sake of the Korban Omer. It involves drying it. It involves crushing it. It involves sieving the flour until it is very fine. And all those preparations need to be done before the flour can actually be offered on the Mizbeach. And because of that, it would likely be that it would only be offered up later on in that day. Perhaps towards the late afternoon even. However, if people were so used to eating Chodosh, to eating the new grain from the beginning of that day, throughout the Golas, before the Beit was rebuilt, 
So on that day as well, they'll come to eat Chodosh from the beginning of the day. And so to prevent that, when Yochum and Zaka instituted that the entire day of Pesach, of the second day of Pesach, will be forbidden to eat Chodosh, and only from the beginning of the third night of Pesach would one be able to begin eating Chodosh, and that again was a decree of Yochum and Zakai. Originally, the Basin would accept testimony about Kiddush HaChodesh, about having seen the Rosh Chodesh moon the entire day. So that's referring to the 30th day of the month, which, if the Basin would accept the testimony, would become the first day of the next month. And it wouldn't actually be the 30th day, rather the previous month would have been a Chodesh Choser, a month of 29 days, and that day would become the first day of the next month. However, Pam Achas, it once happened that the witnesses waited before they came, and they only arrived after the Korban Tomid of the afternoon was offered up in the Beit HaMikdash. Now the Gemara explains that this occurred on Rosh Hashanah, so it was either the, thir- the 30th day of Elul, or it would be the first day of Tishrei, which is Rosh Hashanah. And the law is that as the Korban Tomid is offered up on the Mizbeach every single morning and every single afternoon, the Raviyam sing a particular song as it is being offered up. Now the song which they sing on a weekday is different to the song which they sing on a Yom Tov, such as Rosh Hashanah. Although on Rosh Hashanah they would never really know whether it was Rosh Hashanah or not at the time that the morning Korban Tomid was offered up. Since it was offered up first thing in the morning, the Basin would not yet have declared the day to be Rosh Chodesh, or Rosh Hashanah, and therefore the song which was instituted that would be sung on that day would always be the regular weekday song. Even if that day would become Rosh Hashanah, the halacha was that in the morning the regular weekday song should be sung by the Leviim. However, the afternoon song, the halacha was, it had to be the Yom Tov song. Now, the afternoon Korban Tomid was always the last Korban to be bought that day, so it would have been bought relatively late in the day, and in general, the, they would know whether it was Rosh Chodesh yet. However, it once happened that no witnesses had come yet, which meant that they didn't know whether that day was a regular weekday, it was the last day of Elul, or whether it was actually a Yom Tov Rosh Hashanah, such that the Levim would need to sing the Yom Tov song. And the Mishnah says, when it's Kalkwa Levim Bashir, the Levim sort of messed up regarding the song, and we're going to understand that to mean that they didn't sing any song at all to accompany the Korban Tomid of the afternoon. They didn't know what song to sing, so they didn't sing at all. And after seeing this possibility and this occurrence, Hiskinu, the Basin under the leadership of Rabbi Zakai instituted they would only accept testimony from witnesses before the afternoon Korban Mincha was offered up, which is a flower offering which is offered up together with the Korban Tomid, whilst the Korban Tomid is being offered up and burning. And that way, they w- the Levian would know that if witnesses had not yet been accepted at that time, that the Basin would not accept anyone else after the Korban was brought, in which case it would emerge that that entire day was Rosh Hashanah. So since they instituted that that wouldn't happen, so the, v- the Levian would know that that day would indeed be a weekday, because the Basin would no longer declare it Rosh Chodesh. If witnesses came from when the Korban Mincha of the afternoon was offered up onwards, so the Basin would not declare that day to be Rosh Chodesh. However, Noagin Oisayim Chodesh, they would still treat that day as being a holy Yom Tov day. Of course, up until then, everybody had to observe Rosh Hashanah on that day, in case it would indeed be Rosh Hashanah. And witnesses would come and testify, and Basin would declare it to be Rosh Chodesh. But even after the Korban Tomid of the afternoon had been offered up, 
and they knew that it was no longer possible for the Beistin to declare a Shchodesh, they nevertheless had to treat the rest of that day as being Yom Tov. And the reason for that is so that people do not come the next year to treat that day lightly and think that anyway, it's not going to end up being a real Yom Tov, it may not even be Rosh Hashanah today, and so the Chachom instituted that the first day would always be kept as a Yom Tov, regardless of whether it would actually end up being Rosh Chodesh or not. Everybody had to treat that day as a Yom Tov, and as a real Yom Tov, not only out of doubt, so that people would treat that Yom Tov correctly and wouldn't be lenient in its observance. And of course, Lamacha Kadesh, the next day they would also treat as a holy Yom Tov, because in this case, the next day would actually be Rosh Hashanah, because they would only declare Rosh Chodesh the next day. So this decree was actually not made by, by Rabbi Yechem Zakai. Apologies, I said it was. This was made by previous Chachomim, a previous Beistin. However, Mishachar Beis HaMikdash, once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, his kind of Rabbi Yechem Zakai. Rabbi Yechem Zakai instituted that they would start again to receive and accept the testimony about Kiddush HaKodesh all day, because without the Beis HaMikdash there was no problem. The whole problem was only the Levim not singing the correct song, or not singing a song at all. But of course, once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, that wasn't an issue, and therefore Meruchim ben Zakkai said that the Halacha should be as it was originally, that the Sanhedrin would accept the testimony all day. Interestingly, we see from this Mishnah that it needed another decree of the Beistin to revert the Halacha to what it was originally. Even once the reason for the Chachomim's original decree not to receive witness all day, even once that reason was irrelevant, the decree was not automatically removed. It required another Beistin. It required Rabbi and Zakai to actively decree to remove the original decree of the Chachomim. And this is one of the places where we see that even if the reason for a decree Midrabonon does no longer apply, the decree itself still exists. Alright, and now a last decree of Rabbi and Zakai, Amr Bishra Bin Shurman Korcha said, V'oidzos hiskan Rebbe Zakai, Rebbe Zakai furthermore decreed the following thing, Sha'afilu rosh beisin b'chol even if the head of the beisin, known as the Nossi, is in any other place and he is not currently where the Sanhedrin is, and we've learned a couple of times in the Masechta that the way Rosh Chodesh is declared is that the head of the beisin declares it to be Mekudosh. He declares the day to be sanctified. Nevertheless, says the Mishra, He instituted that the witnesses should only go to the regular place where the Sanhedrin meet, and if the Nossi happens not to be there, then another member of the Beistin of the Sanhedrin should declare it to be Rosh Even though ideally this should be done by the Nossi, we don't want to burden the witnesses in having to chase after the Nossi and find him where he is. Rather, it's enough that they go to the regular place where the Sanhedrin sit, and a different member of the Sanhedrin, if the testimony is accepted, would declare that day to be Rosh Chodesh. Mishnah hey, the focus of the next couple of Mishnayis are the three main brachas which are added to the Musaf prayer on Rosh Hashanah. And those three brachas are Malchus, which is all about Hashem's kingship, how he is king over the whole world, and especially when Moshiach will come, his kingship will be revealed. Zichronus, which refers to all of the remembrances, such as Akedas Yitzchok, which Hashem remembers that merit. And Shefaros, which discusses many Pesukim, which mention the Shefaros, such as when the Torah was given, all of the sounds and the Shefaros which were there at the time of Matan Torah. Now, each of these three parts are made up of many Pesukim, which discuss ideas about that bracha. And then at the end, it includes a request, again, to do that bracha. So it would be a request that Hashem should reveal his kingship in the world, a request that he should remember us for the good. 
and they request that he should blow the final shofar, which will announce Moshiach's arrival. So that sort of request would be at the end of the bracha. Now the first of these three brachas, Malchias, is actually not its own independent bracha, but it's part of another bracha. There's a discussion now, Mishnah, which bracha it's part of, but it's certainly part of a bracha which discusses Hashem's Kedusha. Hashem's holiness, because Hashem's kingship and Hashem's holiness are very similar ideas, and therefore they are all put in part of one bracha. So the Mishnah says, say the bracha is the order of the brachas in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, is as follows. Omer, he should say, Ovois, the bracha of Ovois, which is the first bracha of Shemana Esrei, which discusses the Ovois of Romitzak and Yaakov. So just like every single Shemana Esrei, this Shemana Esrei begins like that. The second bracha, just like every single Shemana Esrei, is Ugvurais, the bracha discussing Hashem's might and power and how this is manifest in the world, Ukrus Hashem. And the third bracha focuses on the holiness of Hashem's name and the holiness of Hashem himself. The first three brachas of Shemun Esrei are always these three brachas. But now, according to the first opinion, V'chol Malchias Mohen, he includes the Pasukim and the requests about Malchias in that bracha of Atokodesh. Now, at the end of each of the three parts of Malchias, Zuchronis, and Shofras, the Shofar is blown. So there are two separate mitzvahs being performed now. There's the mitzvah of the Shofar, and there's the mitzvah of the Malchias, Zuchronis, and Shofras. Now, because the mitzvah of the Shofar is all pretty much one mitzvah, even though it's blown at the three different times, it's all one mitzvah of blowing the Shofar, of hearing the Shofar. And therefore, they should all be done next to each other, and there shouldn't really be an interruption in between them. The only interruption there can be are the pasukim for which the shofar is being blown. So it's not a problem if you interrupt it with the pasukim of zichronus or shofaris, etc., because the way that the mitzvah of shofar is performed is together with these three brachas. However, since according to this opinion of the Mishnah, malchus are included in the third bracha of Atakadosh, well, there's going to be a fourth bracha before zichronus and shofaris. So if we were to blow the shofar in the Malchias, at the end of Malchias, we would have an interruption of the fourth bracha before we get to Zichronus and Shofaris. Which means that all of the blowing of the shofar would not be done in the same stretch, there would be an interruption. And that is not ideal. And therefore, he does not yet blow the shofar at the end of Malchias. Rather, first he says the fourth bracha, Kudushas Hayyim, which discusses the holiness of that day of Rosh Hashanah. And at the end of that bracha, the Tekeah, then he blows the shofar th- then, and he goes straight into the next part, which is Zichronus, the Tekeah. He then blows the shofar at the end of Zichronus, then Shefaris, he says the bracha of Shefaris. And at the end of that bracha, the Tekeah, he blows the shofar again for a third time. So he said the Malchus, the and Shefaris, and then he says the regular last three brachas of Shemun Esrei, which is Vaimar Veda, he says the bracha asking Hashem to accept our service. That refers to the bracha of Ritzei. Then he says the bracha of Moedim, the Hidoa, thanking Hashem, and then Ubrikas Kranim, the blessing of the Kranim is said, which is followed by Simshalayim, blessing, and asking Hashem for peace. All of this is Dibri Abiyachim Menuri, that is the opinion of Abiyachim Menuri. Omer Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said to Rabbi Yechim Ben-Nuri, if he doesn't blow the shofar at the end of Malchias, lama humazker? Why does he mention it? And the Gemara explains that the question is, why does he mention and say the bracha in exactly the same format as the bracha for Zichronis and Shofaris? That as the next mission will describe, there are ten psukim, followed by a request, it seems that Malchias is pretty much exactly like Zichronis and Shofaris. But if we're already changing it with regards to blowing the shofar, so why is it that we're making sure that it's exactly the same format as Zichronus and Shefaris. We see clearly from your opinion that they're not part of the same thing. Ella rather Omer Ovois Gvurus Gvurus Hashem. He should say the first three brachas about the Ovois of Ramitzak and Yaakov, about Hashem's power and might, and then about Hashem's holiness. And then the Chilol Malchus in Gvurus Hayyim. 
he includes the Pasukim and the requests about Malchias, about Hashem's kingship, with the fourth bracha discussing the holiness of that day. So since the main focus is holiness, so kingship goes with that as well. The Tokeah, and then he blows a shofar at the end of that bracha. But this time there won't be any interruption because he goes straight into Zichronus for Tokeah. Then he blows the shofar at the end of Zichronus, Shefaris for Tokeah. He says Shefaris and then he blows the shofar at the end of the bracha of Shefaris. And then the last three brachas are the same. Those last three brachas, just like the Tanakama Rabbi held. Mishnah what exactly is included in these three brachas of Malchias, Zichronus, and Shefaris? Says the Mishnah, in Puchsim Eser Malchias, one cannot say less than ten psukim in the bracha of Malchias, describing Hashem's kingship. Me'asar Zichronus or less than 10 psukim in Zichronus about Hashem remembering, Me'asar Shefaris, or less than 10 psukim about the Shefar in the Brach of Shefaris. The Gemara brings various interpretations for why exactly 10. Perhaps it corresponds to the Aset Adibras, perhaps it corresponds to the number of Karbonis which are brought as part of the, part of the Rosh Hashanah Karbon Musaf, and there are other additional explanations too. Even if he only said three Pesukim in each of these three brachas, and that has to be at least one from Torah, one Pesuk from Nevi'im, and one Pesuk from Ksuvim, Yotzaldein has fulfilled his obligation. The main thing is to have a Pesuk from those three parts of Tanakh, and the Mishnah adds, One shouldn't mention any posuk to do with the remembrance or the kingship or the shofar, which has something to do with punishment. Since the Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, we only want to mention things to do with mercy and nothing to do with punishment. And the Mishnah tells us that Maschil he should begin with the Pesukim from the Torah, and then say Pesukim from Kesuvim, Umashlim Banovi, and he should end with Pesukim from Novi, from Neviim. And the reason for this, even though Nevi'im comes before Kesuvim, since David HaMelech, who wrote Tehillim, which is in Kesuvim, he lived before any of the authors of the books in Nevi'im, such as Yeshaya, Yirmiya, etc. So since David HaMelech lived first, so the Kesuvim should be mentioned first before Nevi'im. And Rebiyosi says, If he ends with a posuk from the Torah, he has fulfilled his obligation. And in fact, the Gemara says that according to Rebiyosi, the best way of doing it is to say three psukim from Torah, then three from Ksuvim, then three from Nevi'im, and then the tenth posuk in each of them should be from the Torah. And this is indeed our minhag today, to end with that last posuk again from the Torah.